Welcome to episode eight of Cast IQ, the intelligent podcast for entrepreneurs. If you're not living life on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Today, I had the absolute delight of interviewing Cody Gaper in our Founder Story series. From the interview, you'll see that she really does live life on the edge. She single-handedly turned what could have easily been a terminal illness into an opportunity to help women, and in my view, has become the voice of black female entrepreneurship. Not only did she do this during recovery, but whilst working full-time, looking after a family and doing a master's degree in business administration. Literally nothing and nobody gets in her way when she's set on an objective. In today's interview, there's tons of lessons. She's the epitome of one of her mantras, which is, can't is not a doing word. This is Cody Capare, and this is her story. Just to let our viewers know that at the time of recording, we were at the back end of the COVID-19 crisis and uh, and so uh, all our interviews took place via Zoom. There may well be some sound recording difficulties. Welcome, Cody. Thank you for, for coming on to the show. Um, it's it's fantastic to kind of have, have you here. Um, as you know, you know, we, we kind of feature um, a founder wherever we can you know in the podcast you know in terms of their story and and your story is, is certainly um something to that i think would be interesting to, to our listeners um so just a, a bit of personal information really you know who who is cody where, where um where were you brought up and and what's brought you to here First of all, uh, thank you, Gary, for having me here. So who's Cody? Well, that's quite a question. So I was uh, born in 1977 in Zimbabwe. Um, And I was one of seven children. And I am a very middle child. I'm the fifth born out of seven. So uh, I've got all the traits of a middle child. You know, I... And one of the things that, uh, what I found challenging growing up was the fact that I wasn't really a bright kid. I was always, all through school really, I was always bottom of my class. Um, You know, it's like my parents would give my brothers and sisters a hard time if they brought back a bad report card, but they never did give me because they knew I was trying my level best. It was just academia was not my thing. Um, Then, I think I'm going to mention this because I think it's relevant. Growing up, I always, always wanted to be a lawyer because when I was 10, I watched this program called Cousins Law. It's an Australian sitcom. It was about a family of lawyers. And it was just, I don't know, something about, especially a, um, a character called Marjorie Carson just made me fall in love with being a lawyer. But I knew that was never going to happen. I was never bright enough to even go to A-levels, let alone go to university. So that dream later on became 
relevant later years in my life. But yeah, I finished school in 2000, no, in 1994, um, my O-levels. And even though I surprisingly, I did well at my, my, my GCSEs, uh, I just didn't have enough confidence in myself to go into my A-levels. So I just left and I went and worked in 2004. I relocated to the UK. Um, yeah, so basically that's, that's me in a nutshell. Cool. So where, whereabouts do you live in the UK now? Uh, at the moment I live in Cheshire. I've lived in Cheshire since 2006. So I've been nice. here for quite some time. Good. So what, obviously you, you've had some, some experiences going through, you, you've, you've emigrated over to, to the UK. Um, now, obviously, part of your story is that you became quite poorly. Um, tell me more about that. So, so what happened is I always say the 11th of August was a really, really important day. 11th of August, 2014, really important day in my life. I'll never forget that day because I think I always say that's when Cody the girl became Cody the woman. Because in July, ironically, I went to, I got, I, I got involved with um, Race for Life and I just wanted to get fit. So I decided I was going to join Race for Life and I did. And I remember running with these women and most of them would have um, something on their back, right? A placard on their back telling the story of who they were running for. And at one point I was almost in tears because there was, uh, there was three girls and they were running for about four members in the same family. And I was, personally, I'd never been touched by cancer before, but then because it was a good cause and I wanted to get fit and I just joined this. Um, later on that same month, literally, I think about two weeks later, I came out of the shower. Uh, I was putting a moisturizer on. I just happened by chance to pass my hand over my breast and I found a lump. I went to the doctors. Uh, the doctors referred me to Leighton Hospital and they did a biopsy. Anyway, they told me that the, the results of the biopsy would be back in 10 days. I would get the, the, the results in 10 days. Now, the 10th day was the 11th of August. Now, the reason that day became so important was because when I came over here, remember I told you before that I was never a bright kid growing up, but I wanted to be a lawyer. I went to work for this amazing gentleman called Ross Jackson. When I was working there, I would always tell this story about, I've always wanted to go to uni, I'd always wanted to graduate, but I was never smart enough. And he was like, the way I see it, you're not, you are quite smart because I was working at that time as a data analyst and you know, it's like over time, you know, you, you, you sort of like you find your niche in life. So you said, why don't you do MVQs and go to university? So I did the MVQs and I didn't realize I could do this as soon as I found out because the company had this um, program within our organization. I went, I did the NVQs. I, I, I sent, um, I, I got back my results. I passed, I got up to NVQ level three. And as soon as I passed, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was going to be a lawyer. Suddenly my dream was going to become a reality. I sent my application to MMU, Manchester Metropolitan. They sent back an email saying, you've got an interview at six o'clock on the 11th of August, 2014. Same day that I was supposed to get my results. Now, when I went for my 
biopsy test and I was told you're going to come back on the 11th of August. I, for everything that I knew about cancer made me think that I was not going to be a candidate. I was too young. I was too black. This is my head thinking. I was too active. I was, you know, I, I'd never, I didn't even drink. I had never stopped, smoked in my life. So I thought I can't possibly have cancer. So instead of canceling my interview at Metro, Manchester Metropolitan, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to go to the, to the hospital at three in the afternoon. That was when my appointment was. Have my, um, my results and then drive to Manchester because I'd asked for the afternoon off and have my interview. Um, I walked in cancer, which for me, first of all, I didn't bring anybody with me because I didn't think I needed anybody. I didn't think this was going to end up the way it did. And secondly, because I was so unprepared for the news, I just didn't know what to do with myself. So I closed my eyes for a second and then I said, okay, fine. What are we going to do about this? And as the doctor started telling me, you know, it's like the treatment plan and everything, I suddenly stopped him and I said, you know what? In fact, it was a hair and then was uh, Miss Bob. And I said, today is not the day that I'm going to talk about my mentality. I've got somewhere else I need to be. He's just like, where, where do you need to be? And I said, I've got to go to Manchester. And as I'm saying this, I am gathering my things and I'm walking out the door. So the nurse came after me and she said, do you, do you understand what's just happened to you? Because I think in her head, she was thinking I'm in shock. And I said, I know, I'm going to come back another day. But today, I've got something else that I need to do. So I walked out, drove from Crewe to Manchester, went and had my interview. And everything went, it, anybody who saw me that day would not have known what had just happened. I was composed, cool, calm and collected, did my interview. Everything went well until the final question, which was a generic question. She just, this lady just asked me this question, would have asked everybody this question. Is there anything you know that might affect your study at the college? And at that time I had to come clean and say to her, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And she was like, when you say you've just been diagnosed, when, I, when are we talking? And I said, three hours ago. And then she said, so why did you come? Why did you still make the decision to turn up for the interview? And at that time, I knew exactly. Before I think I, before I was in a bit of a daze, at that time, it became crystal clear what I'd done. And I said to her, you know, for a long time, I never thought I could amount to much. And I never thought I could do this. Now, for the past four years, I've been working so hard to get to this day. Now, today, I found news that could possibly derail my dream. Oh. I cannot let cancer become the book of my life. It only can ever be a chapter. So cancer is never going to define me. But what I'm doing right here, right now, is what's going to define me. Now, the reason why that is so important is it became a linchpin in my life. It's mm. every time I feel like I can't go on, I go back to that day because I showed myself what I was made of that day. Um, nothing can ever be harder than that day. I had no friends with me, I had no family, I had no one, nobody knew what I was going through. And I still went out and I followed a dream. And if I could do that on a day like that, what can I do on a sunny day? So I came back and I then called my ex-husband who is to this day is a really good friend. And he was mm. the first person that I told, you know, that I've been diagnosed with cancer. And then 
three days later, I actually got a message from the from the university saying that um, we thought you could use some good news. You've we've decided to give you a place at the uni. I actually started, but I had to drop out because having to work full time, looking after my boys, family back home in Africa, and going through treatment, and then going to uni just was too much for me. But for me, that was really hard because I suddenly thought that I had let my boys down. For me, I'd always been the mom who doesn't tell his kids what to do. I want to show them. And here yeah. I am failing at the one thing that I really wanted to do. So I went into a bit of a depression and it was a bit of a tough time in my life at that time. And that is what made me in, in, in a roundabout way, that's what brought Silash to life. So it was me looking for something to hold on to. I needed to find something to get me out of that dark place of just feeling like I failed. And I just started doing something called Lipstick and Heels. Lipstick and Heels was very simple. It was whether I was going for treatment, whether I was going to work, whether I was staying at home, I would wake up every day, seven o'clock, have a shower, put makeup on, get dressed in a really, really nice dress and start my day. And that surprisingly made, made a massive difference in my life. So for me, it became about the way I looked more than anything. It, it, it became an obsession. So much so that I wanted to hide all, everything about my treatment. I didn't want people to, to know that I didn't have, I had lost my hair, so I would find wigs. I didn't want people to know, you know, it's like I was going through treatment, that I had sores in my mouth. I didn't want people to know my struggle. I just wanted to show them this polished exterior that was ready to take on the world. That's when I realized when I lost my lashes and I went to buy a pair of lashes, they wouldn't stay in place. And I realized why. It was because your own lashes are a ledge that false lashes rest on. And when you stick false lashes, you actually sort of like cream them onto your own existing lashes. So the moment I lost my lashes, I just didn't have any way of wearing lashes. And for me, it just became a stumbling block in my life. And that became the idea then, didn't it? That became an obsession because I wanted to wear lashes and I just wanted to find a way of wearing lashes. So I would just, I bought pairs of lashes and I was just trying to, to tweak them just so that they would stay in place. And that's when the idea of C-Lash came on. Um, never really being a business idea because I'd never run a business in my life. Like the idea of running a business to me would have been ridiculous because, you know, I am the kid who was not even bright at school, who is thinking about bringing product to market until a friend of mine uh, said to me, you know, if you sold me those lashes, I'd buy them. And I thought, I think I'm onto something here. And that's how C-Lash was born. So talk to me about the products then. What, what are they? What do they do? Um, and, and what problem did they solve? So the problem that people, especially and, and this, this is something that I found out later, you know, it's like, it's not just people with, who are going through cancer treatment that is lashes. People who are going through alopecia with the lashes, people who have got a disease called trichotillomania, which is like, they pull out their own lashes. It's, it's, they can't help it, they, they do that. Yeah. And they end up with no lashes. Um, 
so because you don't have a set of your own lashes that enable you to wear false lashes, it becomes, it's not impossible, but it becomes really, really difficult. So much so that most people who don't have lashes of their own just do not wear false eyelashes. So my idea came about because I, what I realized is without your own lashes, all you have is sort of like a paper edge, sort of like surface that sticks onto your eyelid. And that cannot hold the weight of a, of a lash because the lash is quite quite big so it, it's quite heavy as opposed to what's sticking onto your lash. So my idea was really simple. Increase the surface area that you're working with and then it offsets the weight of the lash. So I just introduced a band uh, on top of the lash itself that will stick onto your eyelid that allows the lash to stay in place. So um, the challenge was then to make sure that the band stayed in place all day the bend was comfortable for you to wear all day. It didn't cause you any discomfort. The bend wasn't visible when you're wearing it because you don't want people to know that you're wearing false lashes. And also, no more lashes that were on the market were quite big and serious. Like, um, the people wear them so that people can see that they're wearing lashes. And then yeah, it's I almost like you know the false lashes, don't exactly. you? Exactly. But yeah. I wanted, I didn't want to create a new face at that time. Um, I just wanted my old face back. So I wanted a lash that looked very much like my own. I didn't want people to notice that I was wearing a lash. I just wanted people to think that's me from, from pre-cancer days. So that was the challenge. So I just sat there. And because this was a new idea, the first thing that I had to find out was, is this idea not already available in the market? Because... I didn't want to spend loads and loads of time and find out there's already something like this on the market. The next thing was because it, if it was really a new idea, I didn't want to tell it to somebody who would then go and bring the idea to market before I did. So that became a challenge because I, I was um, limited as to who I could go and talk to about this idea. So I then spent a lot of my time doing research on my own, on Google, on websites, on chat rooms, because I just didn't trust anyone enough to just tell them that except a few people. And I think one of the things that I did earlier on that I realized the value of later on was um, I went and I wrote a non-disclosure agreement that I, it didn't matter how close a friend you were. If you wanted me to talk to you about my lashes, I would make you sign that. And it, it, it's one of those things. And, and, and the other thing that I did was to write an email just outlining my whole idea and email it to myself just in case tomorrow somebody would say, you know, it's like I came up with this idea. And yeah. so it, it, there were th those were little things that I did initially just to make sure that I protected my idea when I first started. I can imagine then that it, you, you must have felt quite vulnerable in that sense as well, in the sense that you've got this idea it could be an absolute money spinner and um, but then you need to kind of make sure that it's protected and that, you know, legally protected as much as anything else. What other steps did you take then to, to protect it? So, um, so the other steps came on because remember I was learning as I go, there were things that I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, it's like, you don't even realize the things that you don't know. <laughs> so the first thing that I needed to do was, I think the first challenge actually that I met was having people take me seriously. You go and you're say wanting, wanting to open a bank account. I approached a bank 
and I said, I want to open a business account. And they said, okay, what business is it? And I outlined what my business was because I was thinking maybe I can borrow money from the bank and stuff. Um, I'm not saying the bank itself, because this is an individual that I was dealing with. Uh, I sent him my business plan and outlined my business. They didn't even write back to say no. They just ignored the email. And I remember sending another email and saying, uh, have you had time to look at my email? I didn't even get a reply. Um, approaching sort of like local um, companies that dealt with startups, I think because my idea, if, if you've never lost your lashes, because even I didn't know, you struggle to understand the process of wanting a lash because there's all, there are already lashes on the market and lashes have been around for a long time. So if this was really a novel idea, somebody surely would have come up with it. So you're telling me that you, a woman who's never worked in the beauty industry, wants to come and tell us that there is this new product that you want to bring to market. And I didn't know how to write a business plan. I didn't know how to do cash projection. So obviously my case was a bit dicey. So I then went back to the drawing board and realized I had to do things by myself. And then I needed, I knew I needed a prototype because it's easy to show somebody what you're trying to say rather than explain it to them. So I thought, I'll go and find get a prototype. I went on Google again. Uh, where do I prototype? Most of the companies that were coming up were in China. So I didn't want to go to China for two reasons. The first one, which was the biggest reason was I didn't have any money to do that. And the second reason was the IP laws in China are quite different from the IP laws in the UK. And I didn't trust that I could do that process without enough knowledge to go out there and start dealing with companies, especially if I was dealing with a company that was in China and was back here and over the phone. And I must admit, I've heard some real scare stories in terms of um, patents going catastrophically wrong when it involves a Chinese counterpart. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and fakes. Well, I say fakes, you know, duplicates being made of the products which should have been protected. So I think you were wise there. Yeah, because I I, I read uh, the story about Dyson and how he had to sort of like open um, sort of like an office in China to protect his pattern and, and, and things like that. So for me, I was like, okay, I don't have the money that he's got to fight. Uh, so the best way that I can do is just to protect my idea. And then I had another idea and I thought, I don't really want to work with a beauty company to bring my idea to market because... Obviously, they've got more knowledge than I have. So they are most probably going to influence my decision. My biggest, my biggest, um, what can I say? My biggest ally at that time, I realized, was my ignorance. Because my ignorance made me brave because things that other people would be scared to do, I didn't know that I had to be scared to, to do them. So I'll just go headlong. And yeah. the fact that I didn't know anything about lashes I was going to bring something different because I wasn't influenced by my past knowledge. So I approached a company called Cube3 in Southern on Sea. This guy is still in engineering, you know, metal work and iron and, you know, they, they don't do in beauty product at all. Okay. I researched the company. I knew it had three guys and they do prototyping. And I approached them and I told them what I wanted to do. Then I was like, you, you realize we don't do beauty products in this company? And I said, yeah. 
this is exactly why I want you to do this because first of all, I don't see you tomorrow wanting to make, you know, more lashes for yourselves because it's not what you do. And secondly, you're never going to influence what's in my head because we both are novices in this game and we're trying to bring something and for you to bring something that's really novel, you have to start with a blank page. You can't start with preconceived ideas. So this is why I want you to do them. And because you, you know nothing about beauty products. So I don't want you to be putting doubts in my head. You're just going to do what I tell you to do. And they were like, okay, we can do that. And these guys were so committed to this idea. I promise you, there were days when I would go for meetings and I would find these guys wearing lashes, just trying them out. And... <laughs> <laughs> and it oh, you was, should have taken pictures. You really should. Seriously, it was it was the most amazing company to work with because you would call them; they would not refer to notes. They knew exactly who you are, exactly what project you're working on, exactly where you were the last time we spoke. They were so committed to the project; it was wonderful. Yeah. At that so, time, sorry, go on. No, no, no. Come on. So at that time, I had started. Um, one of the first things that I did, I went knocking on doors and I realized that people were not taking me seriously. It, it was, the prototype wasn't ready yet. I knew exactly what I wanted to bring to market, but it was so difficult to get people to take me seriously. And I was looking for a hook to get people to notice me. At that time, this is in 2015, Richard Brunson came up with this thing called Pitch to Rich. Uh, Pitch yeah. to Rich was... Uh, he, you'd, you would uh, give him your idea online and you'd put your pitch online and people would vote which was the best idea. Now I found out about Pitch to Reach about three weeks before it closed. Now I knew before I even entered the competition, I entered the competition, I knew two things. I knew that I was never going to win the competition because like I said, my idea needed you to see the idea for you to understand it. So the first thing is, I knew I wasn't going to win the competition. But also, in a, in a way, I actually didn't want to win the competition because I, want, I had a vision for what I wanted my company to do and where I wanted to go. So I didn't want to be confined in the pitch to reach kind of structure of doing things i wanted to do things my own but then what i knew was if i entered this competition and if i was associated with the richard branson um, um company then people would start looking at me differently i because i had no credibility whatsoever so whatever i could find was for me was was a plus so I did enter the competition and I actually did what I intended for it to do because a newspaper um, called The Voice came and they interviewed me and they were like, what are you going to do with this product and stuff? This is back in 2015, I think it was. And I did an interview. The interview was, I think for them, it was, you know, it's like this girl who's got no clue and was trying to do this thing. And I was determined, even then I said, you know, I, I'm probably not going to win this, but if I don't, I am still going to make sure that my lashes are going to be on the shelves. Right. And from then, people started taking it seriously. And I started knocking on doors. I went to Superdrive, Tesco, Asda, everywhere. And I was calling everyone. I would call everyone, sort of like what I had. I had a system. You know, it's like because 
bias you, you can see you can find bias for numbers and emails in it's like if you go to the website but they're notorious in the fact that they never return calls and they never return emails and stuff so i would i had a two-week system so i would email like this week i would email both superdrug and tesco the next week i would email asda sainsbury and and another company and then the next week i would and then i would keep doing that because i thought if i if I annoy them enough, they're going to call me to tell me to stop. <laughs> so when they do that, I would have a time, I would have a chance to speak to someone. So something happened and I got a call from Boots and they said, we've heard about these lashes that you keep banging on about. Would you like to come and talk to us? And then I panicked <laughs> because yeah, that. having You're supposed to say that. <laughs> Having spoken about this life as if it was ready for market, just, just waiting to press the button, I didn't even have a prototype ready. It was still, in essence, a concept in my head. So yeah. I, I had a major panic. So they called me in May and they said, would you like, no, in April, they said, would you like to come in? And I said, can you give me three months? Now, Everybody who's, who's pitching an idea knows that if Booz calls you, you do not say, can you give me three months? You go running. But I didn't know that. So I said, um, I need three months because for me, there's no point in coming to tell, tell you what I'm trying to achieve in theory. I've got a process. Um, I've got a company that's working on a prototype at the moment. And if you give me three months, I can show you what I'm trying to do. They were nice enough to give me the three months and they said, okay, in July, you're going to come. And I went to these guys and I said, right, we've got a call from Booth. We've got three months. We need to get this prototype done. And they were like, they rose to the occasion. We worked through uh, and we got this prototype done. And two weeks before I was due to go and pitch, uh, it was, I had the lash that I knew I was trying to create all along. And then I drove to Boots. I remember I went to um, Nottingham, where their offices are. Never pitched an idea in my life before. Uh, and I was shaking. I just sat down and I remember I started talking. And halfway through the, 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 the conversation, I stopped. It suddenly occurred to me how big this moment was, where I was and who I was talking to. And I just had like the most panicky moment that I didn't know. My, my pitch was bad anyway to begin with. I mean, the, the pitch was diabolical. Uh, but it, it just, it, you could tell that I was a novice. And you know when you're talking to an audience and you can see in their eyes that you're losing them. Yeah. And I, I was desperately holding on to trying to bring something back because I wasn't, I wasn't at all... I was prepared. I knew my numbers. I knew, you know, it's like my figures. I knew my facts. I just wasn't pitch perfect. Um, and then as a sort of like um, a desperate attempt at sort of like bringing this conversation background, I just said to them, I'm actually wearing the lashes now. And at that time, I'd been sitting across from them and they hadn't noticed. And they said, are those not your lashes? And I said, no, I don't have lashes. And because I, I, I was still, I literally had finished treatment. I'd finished treatment in April. So I'd finished treatment three, three months earlier. So I still didn't have hair and I still didn't have lashes. Okay. So at that time, the whole meeting changed. And 
they then decided that they were going to, if they want, if, if I could uh, supply the lashes. So how did you get, I mean, obviously this, this must have cost money. Um, how did you get over the funding challenges then? So, yeah, so this, this is the thing. I, they asked me, they said, okay, fine. If we gave you this order, we've got over 2000 shops in the UK alone. And if you give me the order, how are you going to supply the order? And I, at that time I had, I had less than 70 quid. I think I had 60 something pounds in my account at that time because I really didn't have any money. And I didn't know, I had no clue, but what I knew was I was going to do it. I just didn't know how. And that's what I said to them. And I said, I've come this far and I'm not going to stop now. So if you give me a chance, I'll go away. So they said, is your product patented? And I said, no. And the reason it wasn't patented is I'd already asked and I knew patenting was almost 30,000 pounds. Yeah. And they said, have you trademarked your product, your name, Silash? And I didn't, I, I didn't think that was even a thing. So it's like, no. And they said, okay, fine, you've got three problems here. You, you don't have a trademark, you don't have a patent, you don't have funding. So we would like to stop these slashes, but you need to go away and show us how you're going to do this. Yeah. So I went away and obviously I knew that I, there was no way I could raise 30,000 pounds. Absolutely no way for the patent. Uh, trademarking, I went and, and I knew it was something like, it, trademark wasn't that, that expensive. I think trademarking is like a thousand pounds or thereabouts. Uh, UK trademark. Uh, it's still money that I didn't have because at that time all I was doing was bootstrapping just to get the idea of the ground. Um, and I was in chat rooms trying to find a way because the, the patent was the biggest thing that was a stumbling block for me. And I was in chat rooms and Google to find some one day it was quite a night I came across a gentleman who spoke about registration of design. And you said patent protect the look of a product. Registration design protects the functionality of a product. Uh, it's a little known thing, but then it does protect your product. And most companies would take a registration of design if you don't have a patent, if you've got a patent pending. And I held on to that because I had nothing else. So I went and I Googled everything about registration of design. I went to my IP lawyer and I said, can you do this? And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cheaper. And I was like, okay, hallelujah. How much? And I was like, oh, about 20 grand. God, that's not cheap, but that's like, I still can't afford that. So back to the drawing board. <laughs> I then went, downloaded everything I could find on registration of design. And I spent six weeks just reading everything. And I decided I was going to do it myself. It took me six attempts to do it. But finally, I got my registration of design. After that, I got my trademark. And then I, there was a local, um, local competition in, in Northwich where I live. It was called um, Salter's Den. It was a bit like Dragon's Den, but then for, for the local community. Oh. And I decided I was going to enter this just so that I could pitch my idea against other people who got ideas as well, just to see... You know, it's like, it's one thing to tell your kids that they're good at singing, but it's, it's another thing for Simon Cowell to say they are actually good at singing. So I needed someone outside of my immediate family to tell me this was a good idea. So I ended this competition and I got the first prize. 
And that first prize was really, really useful because it gave me a year's worth of legal and financial advice, and it gave me 2,500 pounds, which really did come in handy. Wow. With that bit of um, sort of like confidence, I then decided to go on a bigger stage. The business show in London was, uh, they were looking for people to go and pitch ideas, uh, exactly the same thing you'd like three judges and then you'd pitch your idea at the business show. I applied to go, go on and I went on and I pitched my idea. That, this time I'd pitched my idea a few times and I knew what I was doing. And not only did I get three notes from the Dragons, I also won the overall Innovator of the Show Award. And then I called Boots and I said, uh, can I meet up with you? And I said, I, I, I haven't got a patent. I'm working on that, but I've got a registration of design. I've got a trademark and I've got two awards and I'm working on um, crowdfunding to get the funding. So is this enough for you to work with me? And they said, yeah, it's enough. But then we think we can help you. We would like to introduce you to Simon. In February of 2016, I went into Booth. I met up with a guy called Simon, who turned out to be the guy who owns a company called Ilo. Ilo is the only one of the biggest eyelash manufacturer distributors in the UK. And when I met Simon, uh, he then invited me to London to meet the rest of the team. I went to London, and they decided they wanted to work with Silas. And that was the beginning of what I thought. Actually, something funny happened. When I came back from London, we, they, they, they gave us a ticket to fly to London and back. When I came back to London, I got to Manchester Airport. I got in my car. Instead of coming home, I drove to Nutsford. They had a McLaren garage in Nutsford. I went shopping for my car because I thought, surely in six months I'll be driving one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've made it in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <quite> so, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of ignorance i mean my, my journey has been a blessing because of ignorance because had i known what i know now i don't know if i would have started because yeah i was yeah I, I, there was a lot that i didn't know <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of structure do you have to your business then and then obviously i mean you're up and running you, you've got you you your patent is on the way. Um, yes. You've got registration of design. You've got a big kind of company that, that wants to stock your product and some help along the way as well um, from a main distributor. Um, you know, is it just you or do you have staff now? Um, at the moment, I have. I, I only have two staff because uh, the, the way our arrangements always is, is structured is it's on a um, licensing um, okay. So they do the manufacturing, the distribution. Um, wow. Because of the product, um, I still have to do be involved in the marketing. I'm involved. So as far as you know, from spoken to other people who've had licensing deals with companies, I seem to have worked with a company that is really. Um, that, that, that is that has got me it's you know, they've got my best interest at heart because as much as they are they, they, they they've 
they, they do most of the, they do the manufacturing, the distribution and everything. I am involved in every part of the process. So there is nothing that happens with the product that I'm not involved in. Because in most cases, most people who've licensed their products, it's literally giving a child, giving birth to a child and giving them up for prostitution. What that person does with that child, you don't know. Whereas in yeah. my case, I'm still very much involved in every single process of what happens with the that's fantastic yeah um i suppose it it reminds me somewhat of the guy that was on dragon's den years and years back called levi roots and he 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 went i don't know whether you saw it or not uh, but he went on um to dragon's den pitching a a particular barbecue sauce like a um he called it his reggae reggae sauce didn't he and um and, and obviously from there, he, he's now a multimillionaire. And he doesn't manufacture anything. He just licenses. And he, he earns a royalty off of the products which are sold. I think it's genius. You know, it it is. And, and I think for me, because I didn't have a lot of, didn't have a lot of industry knowledge. And yeah. because I, I, I needed, I could never have gotten Silas to where he is today by myself. It would have gotten there eventually, but it would have taken me longer. And it would have taken me a lot more mistakes because here's a company that what they did what they do exclusively is making lashes. So I I cut out maybe five years of mistakes and and, and, and learning process with by working with some a, a company that was already set up and already knew and already had a, a, a client base. So not only did it give me a head start in terms of a, a, a business that was started up, it also, I believe, gave me my my brand, Sealash, it gave me a lot of brand equity because I'm, I not only work with one of the biggest brands in the UK, I also supply one of the biggest high street shops. So yeah. the combination of that too is a startup. It's 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 a really privileged position, and I and I'm 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 really aware how privileged I've been and how like I've been to have landed in this position. Yeah, I mean, do you know it? it you say it saved you like um, five years of. of of mistakes it's five years of risk because you, you you could in any of in any of those say five years moving forward you could have fallen flat on your face and not been able to get your products to market absolutely so, and i know. could have found somebody somebody could have come along found the idea with me trying to sell one or two lashes on on my website taken the idea and gone and done it big and better and i would absolutely. i would have been out of business absolutely that's true leverage isn't it you you Absolute genius. Um, so, obviously, I mean that this this is oh this has been your dream. This has been your kind of your baby moving forward, I suppose. Um, what impact has this had on your family life, and how have you have you got through that? Ah, see, th- th- this is. I think this is one of the things I'm. I, I work with uh, startups now, and. This is one of the things that I say to them, you know, it's like when you're going on this journey, you need to go with your eyes wide open. And if you're lucky enough to have somebody sit down with you and tell you what you have to expect, um, listen, because I didn't have that. I went 
through thinking, I'll just make a couple of lashes. I'll, I'll um, sell them. I'll make lots of money and I'll retire with my family in, in on a beach somewhere. Um, yeah. But what you don't realize is, first of all, I'd gone through a massive illness and I come out the other side and people are still trying to figure out what had just happened to me. And without missing a bit, I have gone on to start a company and I have changed the person who used to just come home at night, watch EastEnders and go to bed and wait for the weekend and just spend the weekend mooching about is now this hard-nosed businesswoman. Maybe not hard-nosed, but then I, I was committed. I had to be. I would, yeah. because I would go to work and come back at be home by six, make dinner for the kids, and by eight, I'm on my computer until three in the morning. And then at six o'clock, I'm up going to work. So it became a really tough life that I chose for myself. It wasn't, nobody was pushing me to do it. Nobody saw this coming because I was always this laid back person. So the people that I started this journey with, we're still expecting Cody to come back after cancer treatment. But Cody never did. Then this woman came into their life who was very different from the woman that they had. A whirlwind, to be fair. <laughs> Absolutely. And my, my priorities changed. My, the things that mattered to me changed. Even my friends changed. So did my family suffer? Absolutely. Did it impact the family life? Yeah, it did. I mean, my, my marriage suffered, for instance. I, it didn't survive the, the whole transition. Um, my kids definitely saw a lot less of me. Uh, I had moments of clarity of actually looking at myself in the mirror and asking myself, is this really worth it? And I think one of those moments was in February last year. So I went to BBC uh, Five Live and I did a, an interview. And that interview was so well received that um, the next day, I think it was that day or the next day, Boots decided, even though we, they were going to launch online because people were like calling and asking for these lashes. And we found out that evening uh, that sea lashes had launched. Now, my, my older son was, was away somewhere. I think he'd, he'd gone on holiday with, with uh, one of his cousins. My younger son was with, was with his dad's. And I was home alone celebrating. And it was the most hollow celebration ever because mm -hmm. I just thought for all that I've been doing, is this what it comes down to? And there are moments like that in business where you ask, was it really worth it? And then there are moments when you then realize, you know, it's like when your family is there with you and they're clapping for you and you do something great or you help someone or somebody comes into your inbox and says, oh, your child is proud of you, when it absolutely is worth it. So those moments of, you know, when you've got a dream, it's like a wall that you're trying to climb and then you climb it. But you don't think like, what is it that I want to see on the other side of the wall? And I think those are the moments that people do. You need to have a vision beyond in order to carry you through. I completely agree. And, and you know, sometimes I mean, we, we spoke about this yesterday, didn't we? 
it is that yeah. sometimes you you know your children do need you and your children do need time but also too they need to see the parent that has a work ethic and that is prepared to kind of go against the odds you know it teaches them so much more as well um you know that well it teaches them about life and and and, and obviously you can correct the balance at some point but but you know it is important that children see you know hard working parents and so i think i think it's commendable it's amazing um yeah. and i think the the kids one of the, one of the things that make me so proud is now that my kids understand their lighter moments like when last year i got an award uh from a national diversity award and my son recorded a video um that was played before i went to get the award and then you realize he understands, he gets it. Yes. Because when he articulates himself the way he views you and sees you, it then becomes all worth it because you're not just doing this for yourself, you're doing this for them as well. And for me, it was the fact that they realize what I'm doing and who I was doing it for. And, and that, that is absolutely priceless. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms, you've mentioned previously about the vision that you had for your business and the, the vision that you had then. Is it, how does it look in comparison now? Um, I, you know what, one of the things that I have realized, and, I, and I've always said to you, I've got the 11th of August where I always go back to and say, yeah. I have, I always say to myself when I, look at myself is them is this moment going to define you how is this story going to sound when you tell it to your kids and that has made me want to be more to do more and now my vision has gone beyond just making lashes i have a bigger vision than that because i know i'm capable i know i am i am powerful beyond measure i can do the only thing that I haven't got is time because we all have 24 hours in a day. But what I tend to do with that time is make full use of it. Because for me, you know, it's like the way I look at it. You, I went through cancer and I don't know if it's going to come back or not. But while I'm here and while I'm able, I'm going to ride this life until the wheels come off. And I'm going to do, you, you know, somebody said to me, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking too much space. That's very true. Very true. Love that. So talk to me about your numbers then. Um, what, what did you turn over last year? Um, last year, um, so it, my numbers are, because, because of licensing deal, it's like my numbers are quite difficult to kind of, but then uh, in terms of gross, uh, I turned over just over half a million last year. And wow, that's, that's in product sales. Yes, that's in product sales. And that's just in the UK alone. Phenomenal. And what would you say you, you projected is for the next year, this year, let's say? So this year, obviously, there, there was uh, COVID-19, which has affected a lot of businesses, including my own business. Um, mm -hmm. But then one thing that happened is beginning of this year, we managed to get into, into the U.S. And U.S. is a much bigger market. Um, and as things settle down, uh, we expect things to start moving in the US uh, as they have started doing in the UK. So taking into account the 
the, the market in the UK, in the US is a much bigger market and the UK market is, is stabilized because it's a known brand now. Um, conservatively, I would say with the knocks that we've had, I'm, I'm, I'm looking to probably turn over the same or yeah. maybe a bit more. Yeah. That's, I think we, we talked about the yesterday too, in the sense that, you know, if you can maintain a sense of normalcy through, through what has been completely game-changing in terms of the uh, you know the pandemic etc then you're doing really really well um you've not obviously done this on your own so who would you say your your mentors have been and, and who's helped you and get to where um, so one person who's been uh i, I think who i can't th th there's been quite a few people but then this whole journey started because of one guy called Ross Jackson. Ross Jackson is the guy who owned a company, who owns a company called Fleet Operations. This is the company that I was working for. He's the guy who told me in the first place to go and do my MVQs to go to uni. He's the guy who, um, when I did find um, my place at uni was very, very supportive. Um, I still worked throughout my treatment um, when I was, when I was, um, when I was going through treatment for cancer and I worked for this company and he did support me as much as he could. You know, it's like if I couldn't come into the office, you'd allow me for, to work from home. And he still to this day is my mentor because you can imagine after this person has supported somebody who's not being as productive because she's not well, she comes back to work, works for a year. And then after a year, she says, I'm leaving because I'm starting my own company. You'd expect someone to get upset with you, but what he did was like, okay, what can I do to help? Wow. And Nominal. and he became my mentor. And that was in 2015 and just my mentor to this day. Um, I, <laughs> I also have, uh, my ex-husband Steve Smith has always been, um, I don't know, one of those people that is always a constant in my life. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, I, I would have struggled going through cancer alone. Um, even he was the first of reason because he's one person who will not caress you with, it, with a lie. He would, he would hit you with the truth. So if I needed an honest opinion about what I'm doing and ideas good or bad, I would sort of like run it past him and stuff. And it's always been um, very, very helpful. Uh, my kids sorry i was just going to say that you know it, it it's weird sometimes that that things might not work out say in terms of a marriage but relationships differ over periods of time don't they you know and if you can retain a friendship and, and what seems to be like a good trusted and strong friendship you know despite the marriage not working out then then that's phenomenal and, and the fact that he's still you know in your life you know, as a very dear, trusted friend, then, you know, then, then that works, doesn't it? It's handy to have that kind of support system in place. You were going to mention it, something about your kids. <laughs> my, my kids. <laughs> so my, my kids have been, I've been blessed with two amazing kids. So one is a 20-year-old. Um, well, they're both boys. Uh, Panache is 20 and Tag. Takunda is 19. Takunda is 13, sorry. Um, and they, they, they've been sort of like 
apart from being a reason to carry on and a reason to wake up in the morning and a reason to want to be better, there are really good kids that have been there in moments when I really needed them. I mean, when I was going through treatment, obviously at some point I was alone at home and the only person who I was with at home with was Panache, my my now 20 year old. And at that time he was doing his GCSEs and he was literally my carer and he was looking after me and while trying to go to school. And he still managed to go and do well and pass his GCSEs. And Taku, Taku is who I call my silent trooper. He's very observant. And he will come in when you needed a good talking to and he will tell you good facts and just walk out the room. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've got these two incredible boys who who make it really easy to to. Fabulous. So and but one I, thing in terms of mentorship and support, they, it, it's 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 kind of hard to because I also have uh, when I went to MMU, I got involved with the. Um, uh, the center of enterprise and there is also one of the coaches they called neil uh neil simpson and he's also been one person who you know it's like when you're feeling when you're doubting yourself and you think i can't do this anymore he's always a good person to pick up the phone and i think in business i found that you can't have one mentor or one coach you've got different people because you get different things from different people this that one person will allow you to cry on their shoulder and that one person who will not let you feel sorry for yourself. And it's like, come on, this is not you. I'm not letting you sit there and feel sorry for yourself. So I've got quite a few people who are in my life who are always there to kind of make sure that um, I, I keep focused. This also brings me back. You've mentioned MMU, which also is my university as well. Um, but um, one thing that we've not mentioned is that, Throughout all of this, you've done an MBA as well, haven't you? <laughs> yes, I have. Just to add another kind of yes. plate to spin. <laughs> but fantastic. I mean, it, 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 I, I think it, it's, it's, it's actually, there, there is something to be said for being a bit, uh, I don't know, <laughs> crazy. Because I think I think you have to be. Um, yeah. So in 2016, I, like I said, I got um, I started working with with Ilo in 2016. Uh, but then what happened was there were long periods of just waiting where nothing was happening, where we were waiting for certification or this or the other. And anybody who's ever run a business knows that when you're doing something, the day the days go quicker. When you're yeah. doing nothing you're sitting on your hands it's the most painful waiting is the most painful thing and because i was driving everybody crazy because i was calling people every 15 minutes to check on updates i decided to go away and do something with my life and obviously there was this dream that i always wanted to go to uni and there was i got an email in my inbox uh, saying that um women in business way getting away scholarships uh you could apply for a scholarship um, in fact there was a competition 
uh, three scholarships for women to go and do MBAs. Now, remember, I didn't have a first degree. Um, I didn't even have an level. So I didn't think I could do this. But then I kept thinking, well, what if I can just, I'm not, I'm not going to get this scholarship, but then would they not consider for me to go in and actually do this MBA? Um, anyway, I decided on a day that I was going to apply. And then I applied. And then three weeks later, not only did I get in, I actually got the first prize. So I got the scholarship. And I decided to go and do a master's. <laughs> so I turned up in a uni. Uh, positively uh, convinced that I was never going to go through with it because obviously this is a master's, this is not a first degree. Uh, it took me a long time and I, I, I struggled. I, I don't want to lie. But the whole journey, because I think what, what you realize with an MBA is not about the mark you get. It's about the journey of just your whole life changes. You'll never be the same. You know, the way you look at Oh, you seem to have Lost the recording. Hi, Cody. We, we seem to have lost you there. Um, if you can remember where no, you were at. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was saying, you know, it's like the way you look at life, even the way you, you know, it's like when you debate, you know, it's like before when people say, don't, don't wait to speak, listen before you speak. The way you listen to someone who's putting a point across, it changes. So for me, the MBA has been absolutely crucial in my business and it's, it's, it's allowed me to, to have a clear vision of where I'm taking my business in the future. Well, it's quite a generalist degree, isn't it? And, and you, you can look at, obviously through an academic lens, you can look at all areas of your business, whether it be marketing operations, human resources, finance. Absolutely. You know, so yeah, fantastic. Just kind of moving on slightly now, um, what we usually do, Cody, is we, we ask um, anyone that, that comes on the show really as to what four lessons they've learned in their experience. And what would you say were the four key lessons you've learned in, in all of this process? So my four key lessons, without a doubt, the first one would be just start. Because whatever you're thinking of doing, you know, it's like, there are so many good ideas out there sitting with people who are scared to start. You never know whether something's going to happen unless you start, until you start. Because when you haven't started, you're thinking about, well, I'm going to start tomorrow. But when you've started, you're not, you're not on step one. You're busy solving problem A. You finish start solving problem A, you're solving problem B. And before you know it, you're already going somewhere. So the first lesson I would say is just start. And then the second lesson is know when your burnout point is. You know, when you start on this journey, be clear on when do you start, when do you say you've had enough, when you've spent, have a ballpark figure of when I've spent 100,000 and I still haven't done this, maybe it's time to commit this. When my kids and my wife are not speaking to me anymore. Maybe it's time to stop. When everybody is telling me this is not a good idea, maybe it's time to stop. Because if you don't, if you just go with blinkered eyes, maybe sometimes what you need is to stop and then, you know, it's like recalibrate and, 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 and see where you are. But if you don't have, um, 
somewhere where you say, okay, maybe I need to call it quits, then you will probably just hurt yourself and the people around you without realizing that you're doing it. Without, and yeah. then the third lesson, the third lesson is hard is not a doing word. By that, I mean, you can't say I can't because if you say you can't, you're never going to do it. I'd rather you say, I don't know how to do it at the moment and then to do it because most of the times when people go and do things and like people will say, how do you do it? Nobody has got the answers. We all can't do. I didn't know how to run a company. I didn't know how to make um, lashes. But if I'd said can't, I would never have gone out and done something. So uh, and then I, I think, think... We, we've lost you just as you said what the third lesson was. Um, if you could just repeat just the phrase again that you that you you said is it can't is not a doing word can't is not a doing word like that and number four number four if not if you're not living on the edge you're taking way too much space you need to just live your life it's the only life you've got and you, you need to go out there it, it doesn't matter it's, it's not even about starting a company if you've always wanted to dance go out and dance it doesn't matter if people laugh at you because people are gonna laugh at you anyway if you want to go out there and you know if you, you want to to learn to ride a bike you want to learn to do something new just do it because i don't think i think people would never regret the things that they did wrong they only regret the things that they never got to do so just and I think four life. takes you right back to the first because if you're not living life on the edge, you're taking too much space. So just start, just do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just, just do it. Life is living. You just live it. As a bit of fun, uh, we usually ask um, our interviewees um, if you were to have a tea party at your house. Um, obviously, besides me. Um, if you could invite any three people, alive or dead, um, who would that be and why? So, being me, um, I would invite the first two people would be my mum and dad because I've not seen my mum and dad in, in close to eight years now. So, I would definitely invite my mum and dad because the person that I am now is everything to do with what they teach me, what they taught me and the person that they brought me out to be. So for me, I think that would be maybe, I, I don't know, we would never go to bed. Would be. And I think the third person that I would invite is Michelle Obama, only because she is a black woman who has done everything that I would like to do with my life as, as well. She's the way the way she she presents herself her thought process uh the way she deals with adversity and the way she deals with negativity it's 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 a lesson that takes many lifetimes to lifetimes to learn and well i'm going to clash your mom and dad as one person um so let's think can you think of another person that would, that you'd have Another person that I have, now you put me on a spot. Let me see. Just a little. <laughs> Who would I have? <laughs> Who would I have? Do you know, I would have Kagami. So um, he is uh, the, run, run, the run, 
the Rwandan president at the moment, or prime minister. And I am African and I am passionate about Africa. And with what he's done with that country and how he's managed to turn it around, and there is a lot that African leaders can learn from, from what he has done. And I don't think that he gets enough credit and I don't think that we are learning enough lessons from what he's managed to do. So it would be nice to sit down with, with a guy who's done, who's managed to achieve what he has achieved. Perfect. Thank you very much indeed for coming on to the, to the, to, on, to, yeah, can't get my words out. Uh, thanks very much for coming on to the podcast and telling your story. Um, thank you so much for having me. a phenomenal hour or so. And um, thank you very much. Um, what I'll, I'll also mention too to, to the uh, to the listeners is that um, you're on. Obviously, you, you've you've got a website etc. for the products, um, which I'll include on the show notes. You're also on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'll include your details there. So if people want to connect with you, uh, then we can do. If that if that's okay with you, that's absolutely. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I thoroughly enjoyed that interview with uh, Cody. Um, there's certainly a lot of lessons there that, that I can certainly apply, and uh, and I'm sure you can too. If you do feel you've got value out of today's uh, interview, um, why don't you hit subscribe? Please do. It helps us get the message out. It helps us get more followers. and uh, But also, too, please leave a review. Let us know what you what you think of us, and uh, and also to give us some ideas as to what you would like to see as well. So until next week, thank you very much indeed for joining us and bye for now.